Good morning, everyone. <laughs> Thanks for having me. My son is at a pastor's retreat, and uh, he's been doing it for at least 10 years, and it's uh, really special for him because one of the pastors is Pastor Keenan Barber, who's uh, at uh, Moorpark Presbyterian Church now, and he happened to have been Peter's youth leader when he was like 14, 15, 16 years old. So it's really a kind of a special time. And so when I got to see the scripture that I was assigned, and I read it about three times, uh, it didn't mean a lot to me. <laughs> I had to dig into it a little more. I thought, well, this is really difficult. You know, if we're going to do with a parable, you know, why can't I get something like the prodigal son or the good Samaritan, you know, that's easily, you know, very positive and great thing. And the, the difficulty here is, is that with this parable, there's in this uh, section of the Bible is there's really some harsh words. There's uh, some things being said by Jesus that uh, we don't like to you know, here necessarily because, you know, we often would like to sort of uh, think of him as always just, you know, doing miracles and showing love, but, you know, a very, very large part of his ministry was simply to tell the truth, and the truth was offensive to particularly the, the religious leaders of his time. So here's our scripture. It's uh, Matthew 15, 1 through 20. Then some Pharisees and teachers of the law came to Jesus from Jerusalem and asked, why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? They don't wash their hands before they eat. Jesus replied, why do you break the commands of God for the sake of your tradition? For God said, honor your father and mother, and anyone who curses his father and mother must be put to death. But you say that if a man help, says to his father or mother, whatever help you might otherwise have received for me is a gift devoted to God, he is not to honor his father with it. Thus you nullify the word of God for the sake of your tradition. You hypocrites. Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are but rules taught by men. Jesus called the crowd to him and said, listen and understand. What goes into a man's mouth does not make him unclean, but what comes out of his mouth, this is what makes him unclean. Then the disciples came to him and asked, Do you know that the Pharisees were offended by what when they heard this? He replied, Every plant my heavenly Father has not planted will be pulled up by the roots. Leave them, they are blind guides. If a blind man leads a blind man, both will fall into a pit. Peter said, Explain the parable to us. Are you still so dull? Jesus asked them, Do you see what 
whatever enters in the mouth goes into the stomach and then out of the body. But the things that come out of the mouth come from the heart. And these make a man unclean. For out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. These are what make a man unclean. But eating with unwashed hands does not make him unclean. So what Jesus was talking about here was the thing that the Pharisees had adopted. It was part of kind of an oath they took that was called Corban. And what they believed was since they had devoted their lives to God, that anything they received, money, whatever it was, they were entitled to it all because everything they did was for God. And therefore, they didn't have to follow the fifth commandment or the Ten Commandments, so they did not have to support their impoverished parents or honor them in that way. But of course, they said if others didn't do it, they could be they were cursing their parents and could be punished by death. So this is something that Jesus knew about them. And when he hears the attack on his disciples for not washing their hands before they, he, they eat, this is why he calls them hypocrites. Thus you nullify the word of God for the sake of your tradition. Jesus knows this about them. You see, with Jesus, the truth matters. He wasn't afraid to speak the truth about those in power and authority in his time. And what we have to ask ourselves is, does this apply to us today? Are we dealing with any religious leaders that are hypocrites in our time? Well, perhaps if they're too numerous to count, but I, David, when we started, you know, mentioned one, you know, he was telling me about an article he wrote. And one of the things that's really sad is that in Russia today, the Russian Orthodox Church, the leadership is completely in support of Vladimir Putin and his war in Ukraine. Why? Personal power, position, and authority. And this is not uncommon through the, you know, with the church throughout the ages that people who are in leadership would align themselves or in the, even themselves would be a part of whatever it took to become more powerful, have greater authority of other people. But, you know, in the United States of America, we got a few examples too. I'm going to give you five. You probably know a lot more, but we're watching them you know, one after another, it's almost as if we're in a time in which there's a reckoning as to those who are not really preaching the gospel but are preaching a theology of men for their own benefit. So the first I'll mention is Hillsong Church. We often sing some of their songs. They're enormously popular except that their pastor in New York City, who liked to 
hang out with celebrities and athletes had to recently admit to multiple affairs, so he was removed by the founder, Brian Houston, who was then indicted for covering up a sex crime in Australia and has been removed for having poor judgment with women and admits it might have something to do with his prescription drug and alcohol addiction. And there's Willow Creek, which was the largest church in America, 24,000 on a Sunday, founded by Bill Hybels, who was removed for sexual harassment. And if you might have listened to the Christianity Today's podcast, the rise and fall of Mars Hill, and their pastor, Mark Driscoll, who you can listen to his own words where, you know, there was all this growth and it was emphasizing a theology of Christian masculinity. It's not an uncommon theme in these particular types of churches. That is uh, the subjugation of women in order to gain power for themselves for a particular group over another group. And if you listen to it, you'll hear the details of some particularly ugly uh, comments and attitudes towards all of the parishioners. And then we have Liberty University and Jerry Falwell Jr. 48,000 students go to that university. Him and his wife involved in a sex scandal involving employees and students. And then just so you know that there's no political affiliation involved with this, there's Christianity Today and their former editor, Mark Galley, who is best known for writing an editorial seeking the removal of Donald Trump from office. And he was forcibly retired in light of 12 years of off and on of sexual harassment complaints. So this is the reality, and this is just a small sampling of what we have to deal with, those who represent themselves as Christian leaders in our time for their own benefit. What's the appropriate response of Christians? Well, Jesus told us, didn't he? You hypocrites. These are people who honor God with their lips, but their hearts are far from him. Their teachings are but rules taught by men. It's very profound in our time, the use of Christianity to garner wealth, political power, and consistently teaching a, a doctrine that has to do with the theology of empowerment of someone over someone else. And Jesus tells us that what really matters is what you do, what comes out of your heart. You know, we have a tradition. It's called the Reformed Church. And the Reformation was a reaction to the Catholic Church. It was corrupt at the time, and the popes and the cardinals were all involved, you know, not all of them, but many, so many for so long, and scandals of immorality, of having 
children of aligning themselves with political powerful people and kings and, and selling indulgences. So if you were wealthy enough, you could pay enough to the Catholic Church to find a place, buy your place into heaven. And Martin Luther he led the Reformation. This is what he opposed, and it became a revolution. And what he was taking on was the heart of evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. And what are we to do in our time when we see this? I'll give you, you know, we have the examples of Martin Luther and John Calvin, who is largely Calvin responsible for the basic tenets of the Presbyterian Church. And as Presbyterians, we have built into our system a division of authority and powers. So we have a session of elders, we have deacons, we have a pastor, and there is this what's known as separation of powers. And this concept of leadership is at the foundation of the Constitution of the United States of America. And that is, is that the separation of power is to be upheld between the Congress, the Supreme Court, and the President. And it is because that they inherently understood and because they were very much in touch with the teachings of Jesus Christ that, as Edmund Burke said, power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. So that in this church, in this tradition, we guard against lifting people too high so that they are tempted, so tempted with the power and authority to fall victim to these kinds of personal excesses. There's a great example in history uh, I particularly like. It's about Sir Thomas More. One of the reasons why I like it is because he was a lawyer. Thomas More was Lord Chancellor of the realm under Henry VIII. And he was his dear friend and wrote all kinds of uh, various church documents on behalf of Henry. And uh, he did real well with Henry until the king wanted to marry his mistress and divorce his wife. And Thomas More tried to do what any smart lawyer in those circumstances would do when you didn't agree with what was happening. He remained silent. Another concept written into our Constitution. And that worked okay for a while. He lost his position, of course. But then when the king got married, he didn't show up at the wedding, and that was more than Henry could take. So there's a great movie about this called A Man for All Seasons, and the reasons it's called For All Seasons is because it applies to us today. It's timeless. And at the end of the movie, and when the trial of Thomas More occurs, there's a man by the name of Richie Rich who has 
been in a conversation with Thomas More because he came to visit him with two other men who said they remembered none of this. But he said that ultimately he heard Thomas More say, well, it's because he told me that the king believes that this, the new marriage is invalid and it's immoral, something to that effect. And Thomas More responded to that to say, after all these years he'd been in prison and he'd spoken to no one, and, and he says, do you think that I would tell a man such as this such a thing after all this time? And then he approaches him, and he sees upon Richie Rich the new medallion of Attorney General of Wales, and he takes the medallion in his hands and he says, Richie, for what does it profit a man to gain the whole world but to lose your own soul? But only for whales, Richie, only for whales. You know, what has gone on and what we know about has had an impact on our church. In fact, the secular media likes to exploit this, and we can see that now, new movie out called The Eyes of Tammy Faye. And there's studies done by the Barna Organization, and in 2002, their polling showed that 50% of people in the United States describe themselves as practicing Christians. And in 2020, it's 25%. And they asked them why, and there's three reasons. First one is church scandals. Second one is the church involvement in politics. And the third one was the governance structure, which locks out certain people, particularly the young. This is been described as Christianity in crisis, and we think of a crisis like the events in, in Ukraine with Russia invading, which is a, a crisis of enormous destruction to the people that are there. It is evil. But there's also the creeping crisis, the more insidious form of evil, and that is, is that when we have our culture shift that in ways that can increasingly legitimize what we once considered immoral. The truth is we have seen the enemy and he likes to call himself one of us. And one of the things we like to do is we don't want to deal with this. We want to avoid it. It hurts. It's embarrassing. You know, I think there are many of you out there that at one time or another, you have friends that may have been Christian. I have a dear friend who's a judge, and he loves to engage me. He once was in an evangelical church when he was young, and somebody went to college and became a philosophy major, and he figured out how stupid he was when he was a Christian. And he loves to challenge me, you know, and he is someone 
who can come up with virtually every example of the weakness of human beings and what they do in order to challenge me with what it is that's going on in the church. And so this is the impact. And, you know, we would like not to engage. We would like not to have to explain that, no, that is not us. That's not who we are. And Peter here, he, he, he doesn't get it, really. These are the authority figures, the church leaders. And he comes to Jesus and said, do you know that what you just said offended them? Yeah. <laughs> I think he knew. That's what happens sometimes. You offend people with the truth. But that doesn't mean that you should withhold it from them. That is why ultimately, you know, poor Peter, who became the rock upon the church in which it was all built, you know, Jesus is just finally in frustration says, are you still so dull? That's not who we are. As Presbyterians, we come from a long history of courageous stands, looking out for the least of us. We were the first to be abolitionists, to leaders of civil rights, missionaries throughout the world, and at home, this church, its care for the homeless, its mission projects, and as it was pointed out last week, the uh, deacons who serve one another and each of you in this congregation, okay, this is the manifestation of Jesus Christ within the church. This is the true church. Or as Peter, my son, says, the reformed church, the renewal of the church. This is who we are when Jesus says, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, take your inheritance. The kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. This is who we are. We are the restored church of Jesus Christ. We are the inheritors of the mantle of truth. And to speak the truth boldly is hard sometimes. It's uncomfortable. And there may be risk. And yet, Jesus tell us, tells us, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. 
the restored true church of Jesus Christ is as Jeremiah spoke. Woe to the shepherds who are destroying and scattering the sheep of my pasture, declares the Lord. Therefore, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says to the shepherds who tend my people, because you have scattered my flock and driven them away and have not bestowed care on them, I will bestow punishment on you for the evil you have done, declares the Lord. I myself will gather the remnant of my flock out of all the countries where I have driven them and will bring them back to their pasture where they will be fruitful and increase in number. I will place shepherds over them who will tend them and they will no longer be afraid or terrified, nor will any be missing, declares the Lord. This is the promise. This is who we are. We are the remnants, the followers of Jesus Christ. And as much as at times we feel that we are up against it, and we are afraid, and we have great anxiety, and we see what's going on in our culture and the world, and fear is natural. It is the result of anyone who pays attention. But it's not who we are because we have the conviction that going forward as the true followers of Jesus Christ, that our God is with us. God will be on our side. Will you pray with me, please? Dear Lord, we thank you for the truth you have spoken, for teaching us the true way, for teaching us how it is that we as Christians truly should behave, what it is we should not do, and what it is that we should do. And Lord, we ask that you give us the strength and the conviction to go forward and that we not be afraid and that in the end, we will hear those words we long to hear. Well done, good and faithful servant. Amen. Thank you.